Well, hello there, listeners. It's Susie New here from the Australian Society of Anaesthetists, and welcome to our podcast. It's called Australian Anaesthesia, and this is episode seven of a little series that we have called Talking Money, where we discuss the business aspects of anaesthesia in Australia. In this episode, I'm talking about the professional aspects of caring for public patients in private hospital or private healthcare settings, rather than the financial aspects. Caring for public patients in private hospitals is not new, but we are seeing an increase in this, particularly in the last few years due to the pandemic. The pandemic saw elective surgery being cancelled in various states, and as a result of this, public hospital waiting lists have grown longer and really blown out in some states. Just because we're in the middle of a pandemic doesn't mean that arthritis is getting better or that cataracts aren't getting worse. And with the growing unmet burden of surgical disease that now exists, we may be seeing public and private arrangements continue for some time. What we have heard about is that with the increased and sometimes sudden introduction of public and private arrangements, there have been concerns about patient safety. I think this is arising out of trying to kind of patch a healthcare pathway together. So in response to this, we at the ASA, the Australian Society of Anaesthetists, developed a position statement on caring for public patients in private hospital settings so that anaesthetists, you guys, could be forewarned of the issues and thus take steps which continue to ensure the safety of our patients because we all agree that is number one. So this is position statement number 23, which can be found on the ASA website. Of course, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And before I go any further, I really want to thank the Professional Issues Advisory Committee, otherwise known as PIAC, and all those who are involved in preparing this resource. You guys do a fantastic job. All right, so because caring for public patients in private settings is such an important issue from a patient safety perspective, we have made this position statement publicly available. So you can go and read the whole statement for yourself by following the link in the episode notes. You'll see on that webpage a list for a whole lot more position statements which have been produced by the ASA and are only for ASA members. So do scroll down. You're looking for position statement number 23. Okay, so first of all, what are we talking about when we talk about public and private? What I'm referring to there is public hospital patients, so patients who would normally be treated in the public healthcare system at no cost and they'd be looked after by public hospital anaesthetists, trainees, and doctors in the early part of their career who have not yet specialised, who are then instead cared for in the private healthcare system by private anaesthetists. So those of us who work in both systems know that they function differently in terms of our relationship with our patients and our individual accountability for that patient journey. So let's break that down a little bit further. In the private system, the surgeon usually has the responsibility for the entire perioperative patient journey. So the surgeon will assess a patient's need for surgery, they'll discuss the options, they'll perform the surgery, and they'll also oversee the postoperative care. Of course, that care is provided along the way by different professionals, but it's usually the surgeon who maintains that responsibility for the patient and makes any referrals or is involved in any referrals. In terms of patient records, there's usually the notes held by the surgeons in their rooms. There's usually notes held by hospitals. And if the patient's been to different private hospitals, they'll be held by each of the different hospitals. And hopefully the surgeons are also referring the patients to us as anaesthetists in a timely manner so that we can obtain all of that information well in advance of surgery. And sometimes obtaining all of that information means 
speaking to the patient's private cardiologists or their private physicians, speaking to their GP, trying to collect that information for ourselves. So that's what happens in the private system. For many elective lists in the private health system, the same intraoperative team works together. So you often have the same surgeon, the same anesthetist, same nurses, even perhaps the same theatre tech who've worked together frequently, sometimes even for many, many years. And this familiarity with each other, this familiarity with your team can be really beneficial in terms of patient safety as well as theatre efficiency. So that stability of team as well as information in the preoperative phase as well as the intraoperative phase also extends to the postoperative period. So this is particularly important for patients who've undergone major surgery or who have multiple comorbidities. The surgeon or you as the anaesthetist might have a perioperative physician that you commonly refer to and you've got those established networks and pathways. This also applies to referrals to allied health. For example, orthopedic surgeons might have preferred physiotherapists that they like to refer their patients to. So again, they can maintain that oversight in terms of providing good quality patient care. So having painted this very quick picture of what surgical care in the private health service is like here in Australia, what is it that we at the Australian Society of Anaesthetists recommend when it comes to caring for public patients in private settings? So when it comes to patient care, we have three main recommendations. The first is that surgeons operate on their own public patients. So many surgeons will have appointments at a public hospital as well as a private hospital. And we recommend that surgeons bring patients from their own waiting list across into the private setting. So this means that the surgeon already has that relationship with the patient and an understanding of the surgical and hopefully medical issues. It also means that hopefully the patient and the surgeon have agreed to a surgical plan and that this is not going to change if you then get a different surgeon coming onto the scene. Further to this, and following on from what I said about perioperative care being a team approach, ideally public patients are cared for by a perioperative team who are familiar with each other and the surgical specialty. So this means that the nurses, the allied health practitioners, the perioperative physicians and us as anaesthetists are not coming together for the first time to care for this type of patient having this type of surgery on that day. So an example of this might be just picking up the medical part of the theatre team, the surgeon, the anaesthetist, perhaps the surgical trainees, perhaps the anaesthetic trainees, and just relocating them into a private operating theatre. So it's essentially the public service is renting out the theatres and the theatre nurses from the private hospital. Hopefully then you'll have people who've got some familiarity with each other and then this might reduce adverse events and provide a safer patient journey. So that's the first principle, familiarity with the patient and with the team. The next important principle is that patients should only be treated if there is adequate access to their medical records. The pre-operative assessment is so important in terms of making a good anaesthetic plan and reducing periop morbidity. It is really hard to make sound clinical decisions if we don't have access to the patient's health information. And then the final point is that there needs to be good clinical governance around caring for these patients because it can be quite different to routine private practice as well as routine public practice. So we suggest that at a minimum, there are policies in place to ensure that there are safe processes for all aspects of the patient journey. So what should these policies be about? 
So to break that down, again, I think there's three essential components. The first one is that there should be some policies based on patient selection. There may be cutoffs, for example, based on age or BMI body mass index that apply in private settings that don't necessarily apply in public hospitals. So we need to make sure that we're selecting patients appropriately for the setting that they're about to have their surgery in. Second, there should be policies in place to enable access to patient information records and that access should be provided well in advance of the date of surgery so that we have adequate time to prepare the patient for surgery and therefore make it safer for them. And third, there should be policies in place regarding the escalation of care. So for example, if a patient deteriorates in theatre, will this be your responsibility as the anaesthetist to make referrals, potentially transfer them out. And that could include bed finding, finding a specialist who will take them, all of these aspects of care. Or will there be a plan in place to transfer them back to the public hospital? So don't forget, escalation of care may be due to an intraoperative event or an early postoperative event. You could be there with them in recovery, trying to manage them, trying to make referrals, trying to make ambulance calls to transport these patients or it could even be a late surgical complication. Throughout all of this, will the patient still be your responsibility, as might happen with your usual private patients? So with this last recommendation comes the assumption that public and private activity needs to be clearly delineated, ideally through the creation of a standalone list or other predetermined pathway, rather than just adding a patient in an ad hoc manner to your usual private list. And with this, you need to consider whether there might be special requirements, such as whether an interpreter might be required and whose responsibility it would be to organise this. How you handle finding an interpreter might be quite different with your private patients in your private practice, maybe seeing them in your own private rooms, as compared to having a public patient. Or again, in public, there might be interpreters in-house, which you may not be able to access for a public in private patient. So finally, I want to make a comment about remuneration. The general principle here at the Australian Society of Anaesthetists is that any rebates are based on our relative value guide in its entirety. So we basically don't encourage funders of the health services to be cherry picking which items they will cover. As always, the particular value of a unit should reflect the complexity and duration of the anaesthesia. You may want to take into account the relative isolation of delivering anaesthesia care in private health settings. There are also important industrial benefits that some of us who work in public hospitals receive that we don't have when we're working in private. And the really big one there is indemnity. When working in public, you're often indemnified by your public hospital, but when you're working in private, you carry the medico-legal risk. So it's good to be clear about where that risk will sit if you're caring for a public patient in a private health setting. If you want to know more about these considerations, then I suggest you go back and listen to episode two of this Talking Money series. It's called What Should I Get Paid for Public and Private Work? So that's episode two, and it's a resource that's available only for ASA members. So you will need to be an ASA member to log into the website. Of course, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. If you're not a member and you would like to know more, then it's not too late to join the ASA. I'll put a link to the application form in the notes. So just to recap, we know that caring for patients in public settings versus private settings is different in terms of our accountability for the patient's perioperative journey. 
We also know that the familiarity of the team, the processes that are in place and the communication channels that have often been well established often promote safety as well as efficiency in the private health setting. In terms of maintaining that patient safety, we at the ASA recommend three things. The first is that surgeons operate on their own public patients and as much as possible work with a perioperative team that is familiar to the surgeon and the type of surgery. Second, we recommend that there is timely access to the patient's medical records. We don't want you to be pressured into making last-minute clinical decisions. And finally, there needs to be good governance for these patients. We need appropriate patient selection, ideally that they're organised into standalone lists with enough advance notice so that we can access records in a timely manner and so that early referrals can be made if required. Then we also recommend that there are policies in place for how any escalation of care will be handled because as we know, even with all the best planning, patients can deteriorate. Okay, I hope you found that useful. In some jurisdictions, there is immense pressure to get the waiting lists down. I hope if you are assisting with this work that the hospitals and the surgeons have been helpful with getting some, if not all, of these recommendations into place. And of course, I hope you're staying safe and well out there. This episode of the Australian Anesthesia Podcast was produced by the Australian Society of Anesthetists, otherwise known as the ASA. More episodes can be found on the ASA website, asa at asa.org.au Don't forget to follow or subscribe to receive the latest episodes and of course you're welcome to share them as widely as you wish. Please send any feedback to the ASA by emailing asa at asa.org.au Music was by Mark Suss and we hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs>